Thank you for uh, being here today. I know that uh, some of y'all are maybe, uh, as some of our people have gone to their homes for uh, Christmas and, and for winter break, uh, a lot of y'all have come back home. And so thank you for being here with us, especially um, we have people who've grown up in our youth ministry and gone off and come back. Uh, it's really good to see y'all as well as those who maybe haven't been here for, for some time. Thanks for uh, for being here. Uh, last week we had uh, one of our uh, twice a year we have membership Sundays and it was really a great time to hear uh, testimonies and, and to hear uh, covenant vows that uh, these new members have made in giving themselves to not only the, the body of Christ but this particular expression of it here at, at Harvest. I don't know, um, I speak kind of tongue-in-cheek, but for those who became members here, I don't know if you knew what you were signing yourself into, but one of the things, one of the covenant promises of being a member at Harvest is that the official, uh, your new team in the NFL has become the Washington Redskins. And so we're grateful that we've got more fans to cheer on the Redskins. I know that this hasn't been a, a great year for us, and you know it's been kind of a down year. But one of the tests of a fan base and when the Redskins really need us is not in times where we're going to the Super Bowl and everything is going great, but it's in times of challenge, in times of trial, in times of hardship, just like this season has been for us. That's the test of a fan base. It's not a true fan. It's not shown by how loudly you cheer when we're winning the Super Bowl, but it's in how faithful you are in seasons like this where we sit 3-10 and 10 with three games left. When you're only cheering for the team when they're going to the playoffs, going to the Super Bowl, you know what they call people like that? They call them riding the bandwagon, call them uh, front runners, right? call them, what else do you call them, uh, fair weather fans. And that's not what teams need in a time like this because faithfulness of a fan is shown not only when things are going great, but when things are difficult as well. The same thing is true with God. Right? The test of a follower of Jesus is shown not when everything is going great as we sing, when the world's all as it should be, but the test of a faithful follower of Jesus is how faithful are we when the sun's not shining down on us, when the road is marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, how faithful are we in those times? That I propose to you this morning through the life of Abraham and through the life of Jesus is the true test of our faith. We're going to look at Genesis 22, and we're going to look at a passage that has confounded people through the ages. If you've grown up in church, it's one that you're very familiar with. If you've never been to church before, if today's your first time, then you're probably, as we read this passage, you're probably going to be thinking to yourself, this is not the religion for me. And this is not the God that I want to serve. It's not the one that I would choose. And rightfully so, unless we understand what it's trying to say. So Genesis 22, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. This is um, Abraham at probably about the age of 120 or so, right? He'd waited 25 years for the birth of his son, and God miraculously gifted him with a son to his 90-year-old wife. That son has now grown older. Probably he's about 15 to 20, maybe 25 years old, depending on what uh, commentaries, what scholars you ask. But this is... What happens when Isaac has grown up? Genesis 22, verse 1. This is God's word. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is God's word. Again, uh, today's your first time here. Welcome to Christianity 101. Um, I know what you're thinking. Wow. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Um, your God, the God of the Bible, tells one of his own people to take his son and kill him on the altar. Not exactly what I thought I was signing up for when I walked into the church this morning. It makes sense, doesn't it? If you're called into jury duty one day, called into jury duty, and somehow you're on a murder trial case, and the, the, the guy says, well, yeah, I mean, I killed him, or I tried to kill this person, but God told me to. You would think this guy's nutty, something's wrong with him, and you certainly wouldn't believe the God that he believes, because no God, what kind of a God would demand the life of his son? I'm sorry, would demand the life of, that, of, of somebody? And what kind of a God would do that? And if that's how you're thinking, then you're right. Because I don't know of a God that would do something like that. Actually, I, I, I do. So what's going on here? I think there's a lot more to it than just a God who says to a, a person, hey, uh, why don't you go kill your son? In fact, that's not what's going on here. So what is? Um, three thoughts. I, I, we're talking about faith. At the top of my Bible, it says Abraham is tested. Okay, three things about faith. Seen through Abraham and ultimately seen through Jesus. What's happening here? The first thing, faith is tested when God's commands don't make sense. Faith is tested when God's commands don't make sense. On one level, on a lot of levels, this makes no sense. Right? That's probably what we're thinking. But I'll tell you what, on a lot of other levels, on a lot of other levels, to Abraham, this made a whole lot of sense. It made a ton of sense. 
You know why? Because he's living in a region of the world called the ancient Near East. And in the ancient Near East, it was common for the religions of the day to have gods who would demand human sacrifices. In the ancient Near East, it was commonplace for the deity of that religion to demand the life of a human being. Why? Here's why. Because they believed that their gods were not, not as strong, not very strong. And so if you, sacrificed an an, if you sacrificed a human, the blood of that animal, would, of that human, would give strength to that god. That's kind of funny, isn't it? So the fertility god of Canaan, a god named Baal, this was his thing. He would, okay, someone prays to Baal and they get pregnant and they get a child. Here's what Baal says. Because I gave you that child, you need to give some of what I've given you back to me. And so they would sacrifice one of their kids in order that Baal could become stronger so that he could give more and more children to other people. This is nutty, isn't it? You know, there is a modern day equivalent to this. You ever go to Islands of Adventure and ride on Dr. Doom's Fearfall? Okay, it's this ride where you get into this thing and the Dr. Doom starts talking to you. Bah, 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 and fear, <laughs> now that you're locked in, you're mine. And then poof, it goes like blasting up in the air when you're not ready. And then when you come back down, he's like, ha, 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 I've got your fear now. And so what he does is he, he extracts all the fear out of our bodies and he keeps it for himself in order that he might defeat the Fantastic Four. Where, is he, where, do, we, where do they get that idea? I'll tell you where. From the ancient Near Eastern religions who said that we will offer a sacrifice of a human being, that strength goes into the God in order that they might be able to do more back for the people. And so Abraham's grown up in this culture. Remember, he grew up in the era of the Chaldeans and this, this, this period in time where every other religion is saying gods are demanding children, gods are demanding human sacrifice. So when God says, Abraham, he says, here I am, bring to me your son, your only son, Isaac. That sense, in that respect, it makes a lot of sense what God is asking Abraham to do because he's seeing everyone else around him do the same thing with their gods. But on another level, this makes no sense. Why? Because 50 years earlier, God had given Abraham a promise and said, you will have a child who will come from your wife, Sarah, and he will be the seed out of whom many nations will come. Now, look, if Isaac has not yet been married, has no children, then how will this promise be fulfilled? You see, what makes this a test of faith for Abraham is that the command and the promise are colliding with each other. That's what it is. The promise says, here's your child, out of him will come many. Here's the command, sacrifice that child before anything has come out of him. And God says, do this. It doesn't make any sense. And here's where I will say that faith is put to the test when God's command doesn't make any sense. Because there's a lot of times in the Bible where God does things like this. Hey, uh, little dude, shepherd boy, go and fight against this giant and slay him. (laughs) All right. Hey, walk around this. I know that you've got armies. I know that you can defeat the armies, but walk around this city seven times. Don't fight. Don't do anything. Just walk around seven times and then blow your horns and the city's going to fall. All right. Hey, um, you got this army of 20,000 people. We're going to go fight these bad guys. 20,000 people. All right. Ready? Ready? Wait. Before you go, I want you to whittle that army down from 20,000 to 300. 300 and then you go. All right. 
hey, um, you're gonna, you're about to do something crazy. You're about to do something crazy, but you gotta, you gotta trust me. You gotta trust me. <laughs> Leave your boat and start walking on water. Hey, you're 80 years old. I know you've been a shepherd for the past 40 years, but, but go and, and lead my people out of slavery. You go, you stumbling, bumbling, dumb man who can't barely talk, you go to the most powerful man in the world and say, let my people go. Doesn't make any sense. See, this is where faith begins to show itself. When God's commands don't seem to make any sense. You want me to forgive who for What? You want me to risk my reputation to go and invite who to where to what? To church Sunday what? You want me to, you want me to, to, to go to what, what mission field? How's that even possible? You want me to break up with, with who? Why? I don't understand. See, faith is put to the test when the command of God doesn't make any sense. To bathe in the Jordan River seven times and then your leprosy will be cured. How does that make any sense? See, because a lot of times we're constantly looking for the easy way to do things, don't we? And we're, we, we look for the path of least resistance. And we say, that's where I want to go. But Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And if we go the way that we think is we want to go, but God doesn't tell us to go that way, even though that's the easier way, and then we're fighting against God. We're pushing against God. And faith becomes faith when the command of God doesn't make any sense. And so here's Abraham. He's going out and he's like, I, I, don't, I don't understand why you're telling me to do this. But we see a little bit of his faith. I mean, he, he says in verse 6, he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We're presumably to sacrifice him. We will worship and then we will come back to you. How in the world do you, do you say that? You're going to say, God says, go to that place over there and sacrifice your son. And he's telling his servants, you stay right here. I'm going to go sacrifice my son, but somehow we're going to come back. We're going to come back to you. How does that make any sense? You see, the, the power of faith and the beauty of faith that Abraham shows us is that faith doesn't need to know how. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we wonder, well, how, God, okay, God, I know you're calling me to do that, but how is that going to work? How does that make sense? How are you going to do this? But when we're so busy asking how, usually what ends up happening is we never go in obedience. God, I've got all of these responsibilities here. How will I go there? God says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. God, but what about these things? What about my, these needs that I've got? I don't, I don't understand how it's possible for me to leave all this stuff. And don't worry about it. But God, I've been, the reason I'm dating this girl is so that she could come to know you, Jesus. If I break up with her, then how is she going to come? Don't worry about that. Right? Faith trusts God. Faith moves with God even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Right? When God tells us, when God commands us, when God shows us something that we need to do, we, we're, we're able to say, okay, and leave the how up to him because that's God's responsibility. All he's calling us to do is take that step of faith. Right? And faith is tested, right? Faith is tested when the command doesn't seem to make sense. Has God called you to something that you've been pushing aside, 
just doesn't seem to make sense because that's the harder way because I don't know how we're going to make it. Right, this is where faith is put to the test. The second thing, the test is simple. The test has one question. The test has one question. Do you love God for God or do you love God for his gifts? How, how is God going to ask? How is God going to test this? He tests it by asking for the greatest gift that he's given. Verse 2 is, is kind of funny. It's kind of funny. I don't know if you... Can you put verse 2 up here? I don't know if um, what version we're putting up there. Okay, so this is the, the newer version of the NIV, which is a little bit more uh, accurate to um, the original language. It, it's funny because God comes to Ab- Abraham and he says, Take your son. And Abraham's like, if this was me, this is how I'd rationalize it. They get, hey, David, take your son. If I'm, if I'm Abraham and I've got, I've got, I'm in this situation, take your son. I'm like, which one? <laughs> you remember? Uh, I, I do have Ishmael. I gave him up about 20 years ago, but I still got that dude. I mean, he's still technically my son. And he says, your only son. I'm no, your only son. Actually, this is the, this is the, the wrong. Okay. But your only son. <laughs> What do you mean, my only son? God, do you remember I've, I've, I've got, have you forgotten Ishmael? In the original language, before Isaac, it says, the one whom you love. And then again, <laughs> Isaac is like, well, I technically love Ishmael too. And so God makes it crystal clear for the fourth time, Isaac, that one, the child of the promise. It says, give him. And do what? Go to the region of Moriah. What in the world? You know, God has a way of asking from us the one whom we love. Doesn't he? He doesn't say, hey, I know you got 18 kids. Give me the one you like the least. Just I'll take any of them. Just, just give me your money. Give me, give me a, a couple days. He has a way of going straight for the jugular vein, doesn't he? I mean, that thing that you don't think you could live without. We all have things like that in our lives, don't we? Things about which we would say, God, here, I'll give you, um, I'll give you my job, but not that, not that relationship. God, I'll give you my, my past, but I don't think I can trust you with my future. God, I'll give, you, I'll, I'll give you all the money that I can make, but just let me go to the college I want to go to, even though it may not be where you want me to go to. God, I'll give you all of my friends, but just don't take him. Don't, don't, don't take my boyfriend from me. What's that thing in your life that keeps you up at night, hoping and praying that God doesn't ask you to give to him? I give you everything, God, but not my, not my health. God, I'll give you everything, but not this thing. Right? This desire, this dream, this hope, this longing, this fear. God, I'll give you whatever it takes, but not that. Not that. God has a way of pursuing the thing in our lives that we long for the most because he's given that to us. And the test of faith is, hey, which do you love? Do you love me or do you love the things that I give to you? He makes it clear because we have the gift of a narrator. He says, this is a test. This is a test. It's almost like you could hear the beep 
of the emergency broadcast system. This is a test of the faith of Abraham. This is a test of your faith. When the Bible talks about someone being tested by God, it's always they're stretched to the limit. They're always being stretched as far as they can go. See, the desire of Satan in his temptation is to destroy you and me. The desire of God in his test is to build you and me and to reveal and to show our faith. That's why he pulls us and he stretches us to the, to the, to the furthest that we can possibly go. Right? This is the test of God to show whether our faith has been forged in the furnace and whether it's, it, it's, it's ready to do what he's calling us to do. So we just finished our, our uh, fifth ever Harvest 201 class, and, and every week we had tests. I asked them, Romans 3, 10 and 11. Who? Lynette, Romans 3, 10 and 11. And she would say, there is no... He should say, okay, hey, uh, Janet, Isaiah 26, 3, or Isaiah 59, 2, Isaiah 53, so all these verses, and, and some of them would pass that test, and others of them would need another week before they could pass the test. But they did... Hey, who, what, who lived in the year 2000 B.C.? They would say, Abraham, when did King David live? 700 B.C. They were all these different, or 1000 B.C. And they would give these different things. And then there was a final exam at the end. This was where everything that they'd learned up until that point in time was put to the test. And the purpose of that test was not for me to watch Johnny squirm and, and squeal in the bell. Oh, I don't know. That. That's not the purpose. Purpose is to see that they're ready, that they've taken, they've, they've taken this, they've internalized it, and they're ready to, to, to go forward. Right? The same thing is true with God. He's testing in order to see, do you love me or do you love the things that I give to you? What do you think Abraham is thinking when God asks him to give his son? Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Why do you think he woke up early the next morning? I don't know exactly. It doesn't tell us why, but here's what I would, I would conjecture. You know, the times I've had to wake up early, when I was growing up and I was in like middle school, high school, our church group, we would go to King's Dominion. It's kind of like the Disney Universal Studios of, of Virginia. We'd have to drive an hour and a half to get down there. And we'd meet early uh, at church about 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I'd be so excited on Friday night. And I would put my head to sleep and I couldn't sleep. I'd be thinking of the rebel yell, thinking of the berserker, thinking of the shockwave and all these things. I just couldn't sleep. And all, my heart is beating so fast. And, and I, I, I just, if I, if I fell asleep, I would wake up after about an hour and I'd look at the clock and, oh my gosh, it's only two o'clock in the morning. It's only four o'clock. And early in the morning, I'd wake up. Is that what Abraham is doing? I can't wait to kill my son. Out of obedience to God. I would venture to say that he probably didn't sleep too much that night. He was praying, he was wrestling, he was asking, questioning. And finally, as the sun came up early the next morning, he got up and saddled his donkey. Took a couple servants. Says when they cut enough wood, he's cutting all this wood. Enough, I don't know how much wood you need for a sacrifice, but it says he cut enough that he set out for the place God had told him about. Why did he say go to Mount Moriah? For one, verse 4 tells us, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, about 45, 50 miles. 
takes three days because in Jewish time, they would count any portion of a day with a day. So anywhere from two to three days, the way we count it, walking. And for three days, he walks with his son. Thinking about the fact that as soon as I get to the mountain, I'm going to sacrifice my son. Thinking about the years that they've had together, thinking about whatever thoughts and memories and friends are friends forever. If the Lord says, pray for me, oh, but you'll be gone. And I, what, uh, he's thinking about all of these things. And by the time the third day comes, it's no longer an impulse. It's no longer a reaction to what God says. It is a hard and fast decision that he's made. For three days of mulling it over, three days of thinking about it, two nights laying his head down to sleep next to the son of his promise, the son of God's promise, the son that he loved so much, looking up at the skies as Isaac is sleeping so peacefully, looking at him saying that within a day, you're going to be gone. Three days walking. He makes his decision. That's what I think he's feeling. That's what I think is going on. That's why I think these details are given. But the Bible doesn't say that. Why? Because it doesn't matter what Abraham felt at the end of the day. Faith is not about what we feel. It's about what we do. It's about our actions. It's not about what we feel when we sing songs and say, I love you more than life. It's about what we do. It's shown in our actions. It's what all of Hebrews 11 is about. Faith is about not just what we feel, not what we think, but it's about the actions that determine our faith, the actions that are played out in faith, because faith is always our response to the initiative of God. It's always our response to the command of God. And so Abraham goes forth in faith. And the question that God has been wrestling with Abraham in his heart, am I worth it, Abraham? Am I worth it? Remember that thing in your life, the Isaac in your life. You pray to God, he would never take from you. He would never ask from you. That blessing of God, God is saying, do you love that more than you love me? Do you love me because of who I am or do you love me because of what I give to you? Do you love me because of the eternal life, the heaven, the promise of forgiveness and the peace I give, the joy that I give, the ability to give you strength to forgive? Or do you love me just for my sake? When I was a kid, I used to love, my my dad used to work for a company called Xerox. And I'd come home from school, I'd wait for my dad to come home, 4.30, 5 o'clock, wait for his station wagon. And then later, it was a minivan. I would wait for his car to come. When I'd see his car, I'd get so excited. I'd look out the window to see if he was coming. When he opened the door, I'd run and I'd say, Dad! And I would immediately run for the newspaper. And I would run away without saying anything to him. And I would just read the sports page and read the comics. And I'd venture to say that I loved my dad's coming, not because I loved him but because I loved what he gave to me. The same is true with a lot of people when it comes to our relationship with God. God, take care of me. God, answer my prayers. God, feed me. God, clothe me. God, shelter me. God, answer this. Give me this promise. Give me these things, but don't ask anything from me. Have we fallen in love with the blessings of God? 
with the gifts of God, with the emotions that God gives, with the feelings that God gives, or have we fallen in love with God himself? What draws you to Christianity? What draws you to continue to walk with Jesus? What draws you to obedience? This uh, last week, one of, our, uh, one of our sisters, Lynette, had an open house, and she was giving away uh, an iPad. You drop in your business card, and a bunch of people dropped in their business card. And, and I said, the only reason I'd go to this open house is to get free food, but also to, to try and win this iPad. And I thought to myself, you know why? I don't think we can do this kind of stuff at church. You know why? Because what, when it comes to church, what we win people with is what we will win people to. We win people with an iPad, then they're going to come wanting free stuff from the church. We win people, we advertise saying free food, we might bring them in, but what we win people with is what we will ultimately win them to. And yeah, it, may, you know, it doesn't always work that way, but as a general rule. Do we win people? Have you been won to Jesus because of the promise of the blessing of God in your life? Have you been won to Jesus because of all that he offers or have you been one to Jesus because of himself and all that he is in the beauty of Jesus Christ? See, faith is put to the test when his commands don't make sense, but the test only has one question. It's do you love God or do you love the gifts of God, the blessings of God, the promises of God, the blanks of God? The last thing that we see, that the commands of God Reveal his character. If you look, Abraham gets his son ready. Isaac is ready. He's about to slay him. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. And then again, you can almost hear the beeping, beeping, beeping. This concludes the test of the emergency broadcast system. This concludes the test of the faith of Abraham. You see, here's what we see that others don't, that Abraham didn't. Hey, here's what we see that Abraham didn't because we have an all-knowing narrator who's writing these things for us. It was never God's intent for Abraham to sacrifice his son. It was never his intent. It was all a test. And whatever Abraham had done, he would not have let Abraham lay a hand on his son. You see, the other religions demanded human sacrifices. But God alone doesn't. And he says, in the midst of that, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns. And he became the sacrifice. If it was never God's intent to demand the son of Abraham, then why even go through this? Why? Because Abraham needed to know that God was worth it, that he was worth everything that he had. And, and Isaac needed to know, listen, if whenever we hear this is the God of Abraham, we always hear in along with that, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's what, what Isaac needed to see. He needed to see that his father loved his God more than he loved himself. This is what every one of our children need to know. 
It's what every one of your students need to know. It's what every one of your house church members need to know. It's what all of our children growing up need to know. I love you. I love you more than anything else in this life. But you know what? There's one thing I love more than I love you. I love God. Right? You are not above God. And we have to unequivocally be able to speak that to our children. Because unless we do, they're going to grow up thinking that they are in the place of God and they're more important to their daddy, than their mommy, than God himself. And that would be a shame and that would be a tragedy. The other reason God gives this promise, this command, is because it reveals his character. You know when God commands us to do something, it's a picture of his character. Why does God say to be holy? Because he's holy. Why does God tell us to be patient? Because God is patient. Why does God tell us to love your neighbors, love your enemies, love those who persecute you? Because he's done the same for us. Why does God tell us to show hospitality to the stranger, to seek after the lost, to give generously? Because God does all of these things. Why does God say to Abraham, 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 I want you to sacrifice to me your son, your only son whom you love. Starting to get the picture here, right? It's really not about these people first and foremost, but it points to a greater love. God the Father had one son. The Bible tells us for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have life eternal. That Son was also born to a woman as part of a miraculous promise given years before, just as Isaac was. As they were walking to the place of sacrifice, as Isaac carried the wood on top of his shoulders, so the only begotten Son of God would carry the cross on his shoulders. Isaac asks, Father, where is the lamb? Abraham's response, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. You see, it wasn't a human. It wasn't Isaac that he required. Isaac wasn't good enough. It wasn't a ram. It wasn't a lamb. Second, First Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1 tells us, on the mountain of the Lord, on that same plot of land, called Mount Moriah, Solomon would build his temple. And in that temple, countless animals would be slaughtered as the provision of God shown that there's a sacrifice given so that our blood doesn't need to be shed, but it's the blood of animals to take his place. Where is the lamb? John chapter 1, the baptizer John, points to Jesus and says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And scholars tell us that on that same plot of land in Mount Moriah, there would be another hill called Golgotha. And on the mountain of the Lord, God provided another lamb. It's none other than his only son. The father says, God, the father says to Abraham, do not do anything, do not lay a hand. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. But at Calvary, no such words were spoken into the darkness. No such words 
do not lay a hand. In fact, the punishment, the slaying that Abraham was going to bring to Isaac was brought upon the only son of God. He was slain for our sins. And just like Isaac spoke not a word as he was tied to the altar, so too Jesus, like a lamb led to the slaughter, spoke not a word. So that now, on this side of the cross, we can say, God, now I know that you love me because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Romans 8.32 says, listen, if God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him give us all good things? We think about Christmas. Here's how one person said it. If God gave the ultimate gift, he's not going to skimp on the wrapping paper. But he gave us everything. You know, when we come to Jesus, he doesn't promise that life is going to be easy. In fact, he probably promises that it's going to be a lot harder. But the strength that we have is a lot greater than the things that are against us. We come to God, he'll ask us for a whole lot more than we ever thought he would ask us to give. But in return, God gives us a whole lot more than we could ever imagine he would give. When we give that to God, whatever that is, that Isaac, that dream, that hope, that future, that relationship, whatever it is that we give to him that God's asking us to give to him, he always has a way of providing a substitute and something far greater. I'm going to end, but I know well, we're, we're pushing a little bit, but just let me end with the story of this little girl. I don't know who she is, but little girl, and she was at the store with her mom at the checkout line, and she saw this little pink box, a jewelry box at the store. And she said, Mom, can I get it? And she opened it up, and it was this fake pearl necklace. She said, Mommy, can I have this? And Mom said, No, can't have it. Cost $1.99, but your birthday's coming up. You can do a little bit of extra chores, but um, maybe you can make enough money. Grandma will give you about a dollar for your, for your birthday, and maybe you can come back later and buy it. She said, All right, and she was really excited. So that that week, she started doing all kinds of chores. She dusted around the house. She cleaned her room. She made her bed and all these things, got a couple pennies, emptied out her piggy bank and realized she had about 17 cents. And grandma gave her a dollar. After a while, she had her dollar ninety-nine plus tax, two or whatever it was. And she went back to the store with her mom and she bought this beautiful pearl necklace. She put it on and she wore it wherever she went. Everywhere she went, she wore this beautiful necklace, except when she went into the water, take a bath, take a shower, go swimming, because her mom said that it would turn her neck green if she did, and so she would take it off. And every other time she wore it, she wore it to sleep, she wore it to play, she wore it to school. Everywhere she went, she wore it. Every night her dad would read her a story where she went to sleep. One night at the end of bedtime story, he said to her, sweetie, uh, I love you. Do you love daddy? And she said, I love you. So will you give me um will you give me your your necklace? And she said, Oh no, Daddy, this is mine. I bought it with my own money. I can't give this to you. And he said, Okay. I love you, sweetie. And he kissed her and then he went. A couple of nights later, at the end of bedtime, reading again, he said, Hey sweetie, uh, Daddy loves you. He said, I love you too, Daddy. He said, Will you give me your necklace? And she said, no, but daddy, you can have my elf on the shelf. I'll give this to you. It is brand new for the Christmas. I'll give it to you. 
said, no, I, I really want your necklace. But oh, I'll give you my Doc McStuffins. This is my favorite toy of the year. No, that's, that's okay. It's okay. I love you, sweetie. And he kissed her and he, he walked out. And about a week later, he came back in to read the story to his daughter. And she was sitting on her bed and she was crying. And he said, sweetie, what is it? What's wrong? Why are you crying? And she was choked up. She couldn't really talk. So he sat on the bed next to her. He put his arm around her and said, sweetie, something wrong. And she opened up her hand, and in her hand, she had this pearl necklace. She said, Daddy, I wanted you to know how much I love you. I'm giving this necklace to you. And he gave, she gave her dad the necklace. As soon as he did, with tears in his eyes, he reached into his pocket, pulled out this blue case, said Jared on it. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and he opened it up. And it was this beautiful, genuine pearl necklace. And he said, Daddy's had this all along. And I've been wanting to give this to you. I'm just waiting for you to give me that. Because this is so much better. And so it is with God. And whatever it is that he might ask of us. And whatever we give to God, God's always giving back. And what he gives is so much greater. Let's pray. As as we uh, pray this morning, there's something that God's been calling us to do that requires faith. We've been asking God, how? How are you going to do? How is this going to work? Right? Not something that you want to do, but something that you feel God is specifically calling you to do. But you don't know how. Could it be that God's wanting to replace what you've got with what he has for you? Maybe God's been asking you to let go of something in your life. But you're having a hard time letting go because that's your only thing, the one you love. And you're trying to hold on to it somehow, doing whatever you can to, to not let go. God is saying, if you give that to me, you have no idea. $1.99, huh. boy, if you could see the things that I've got for you. If you believe it, this is where faith is tested. Let's take a moment to pray to the Lord right now. Say, God, here I am. I want to believe you. I want to believe you. I want to trust. And if God's been putting something in our hearts today, as confirmation of something that he's been putting on your heart earlier, or maybe today there's a new thing that you feel God is putting on your heart, let's not chalk it up to what you had for breakfast or chalk it up to an emotion. Well, let's wrestle with that. Let's believe that God speaks through his word. What's dead is going to come to life. God wants to minister to us now. Let's pray. Let's respond. Let's make some faith-filled choices as we move towards him now. Right, let's pray for a couple moments. Let's pray for a minute or so as our praise team comes up and we'll continue in our worship. And let's pray. Let's respond to our gracious and loving God. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we're thankful that the basic understanding of who you are is that you're a God of love. And nothing that you do is done not out of love, but it's done out of love for your people. Thank you that this is the character of God. And the more we understand our identity as dearly beloved children, we understand that when you ask us for something, you don't ask us because you want to hurt us. You ask us for our good. That when you call Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, your intent was never that Isaac would be killed, but simply that Abraham would love you more than life, more than his son, more than your gifts. When you call people to take a step of faith onto the water, it's not that we would drown, it's so that we might see the power of God and that we might see the miracle of God at work in our lives. And so Jesus, when you call us and if you call us, may we hear your voice and may we take a step of faith. May we love you more than life for all of us who hear the voice of God this morning, calling us to lay down certain things, to surrender certain things. Pray, loving God, that you would help us to do so in faith in order to know that what you will give in return is so much greater than anything that we could imagine. So many times you've pulled through for us in ways that we could have never expected or never drawn up or never even begun to think was possible. This is our God, a God of surprises, who wants to do these things in order that we might give glory to God alone and not for ourselves. We thank you. Thank you for loving us. May we take a step of faith, one step, one step, one foot in front of another, as far as we see you leading. We thank you, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.